A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajah. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer, where we are discussing the theme of reason and intellect in Islam. You will remember that we were discussing the characteristics and the traits of the scholar, the teacher in Islam. And after we covered the more basic, more fundamental traits that have to do with beliefs, with theology, with spirituality, the prioritization of the afterlife, the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, piety, religiousness, sincerity, and so on and so forth, we turned our attention, based on Islamic teachings, to what we refer to as moral traits, or characteristics that have to do with the personality, personality traits. And we said that beyond the actual carrying of the knowledge itself and beyond the need for the person who carries the knowledge to understand the theological and the spiritual duty that goes with knowledge, that there is also expectations around how you conduct yourself in general in life as your knowledge increases. And we spoke until now about things like dignity, having good judgment and wisdom, nobility of character, how there is an insistence in our narrations and the Islamic teachings about the importance of humility and not acting in, in any way, shape or form that is derived out of arrogance, which as we said is something mentioned explicitly again and again in many of our narrations. And it, we said perhaps it seems that there's perhaps an allusion to the fact that as a human being increases in power, whatever the source of that power or the shape of that power is, then our religion is there to remind the human being that this is a natural tendency to want to transgress, to abuse of that power. And so it's there to add the reminders and put barriers and constraints spiritually, theologically, that will prevent the good Muslim, the good believer from falling into those pitfalls that are perhaps natural for any human being to fall into. And so whether we're talking about uh, a type of power that stems from, let's say, wealth or stems from social status or stems from knowledge, it's always the same pattern that we recognize in Islamic teachings, that these are going to be the uh, quick or natural pitfalls for a human being. As you increase in power, you are most likely going to also be more tempted to abuse of that power, to transgress, and to use it unjustly towards yourself and towards others. We saw the importance of uh, associating or linking the increase of knowledge with patience, with wisdom, with compassion, we spent a good amount of time talking about this trait. We refer to it as simply silence, even though we saw that once we get into the details, that it is not simply about not speaking. It is more about speaking selectively, that when you can, and it is appropriate to do so, you share what you can through speech. And at times, and in a lot of cases, the wiser thing to do is perhaps not to share anything through speech or to be very selective. What do I share? Who do I share it with? And how do I share it? What's the most appropriate way of sharing this information? And not simply fall into uh, an impulsive or a reactive way that as soon as I know something, I have to go and share it with others. And this is, again, a perfectly human tendency especially if you feel like you've discovered a gem, that you finally have been able to put your hand on something so precious, discover something that you were looking for for so long, the reaction will most likely be that those you care about, that, or perhaps everyone that you know, or the whole world, you feel, 
should now know this information, this gem that you have discovered. The issue, however, is that we have to be more selective and more wise and plan and think and analyze what's the best way to share the information, who do we share it with, when do we share it with, what's the best approach to, to share that. Speaking about the moral traits, we saw therefore that Islamic knowledge is not compatible with foolishness, neglect, heedlessness, to just go in life randomly without knowing, you know, without having aim, without having objectives, targets, plans. We just spoke about talking too much, revealing too much. These were traits that were mentioned. We said there's a spiritual dimension to this. There's a social dimension to this. We spoke and we touched again on this last time. We spoke about jealousy and we spoke about arrogance. So inshallah today we continue with the moral traits. Perhaps we have time to finish them and then we can start talking about a few of the duties. Even though we said all of these characteristics are about duties, there are a few ahadith that I think highlight a few of the duties in a more explicit way, in a more direct way. So inshallah we have time at least to start the discussion on duties associated with knowledge and the scholar. I wanted to make one quick remark because I have um, I received a bit of feedback around this. The idea that we are perhaps spending a long time on this theme or on this heading of the scholar, the teacher. And it is definitely the case, especially given what we want to cover in the series, that we are spending a little bit longer on a number of topics that may seem to be perhaps secondary to a lot more important, more fundamental, more prioritized considerations for our practical lives. So why are we spending so much time on this? First, we said from the beginning of the series that inshallah, the point of this series from the beginning is to rewire ourselves based on Islamic teachings. And this is not necessarily something that we can do just because we've shared the information. There is therefore a necessity, if we want to do this right, at a practical level, we want this to be successful, for a little bit of repetition and to create habits and to make things as though they are natural. You repeat some things enough and you think about them so much that this becomes your instinctive way of thinking about a topic, of viewing yourself, of understanding religion. This is not going to happen the first time you hear something, or the second or the third. But after 50 times or 100 times that you've heard the same thing, it becomes your second nature. You don't even think about it. And so when we're saying we're rewiring ourselves based on Islamic teachings, there's definitely something about that. The second point is that the aim of the series is that we go in depth. This is about understanding what our religion says. And so while this is not going to be a specialist level, this is not an expert level, we are certainly trying to go beyond simply saying Islam says X about a topic. That part, inshallah, for the most of us, the majority of us, we already know. We know in general what Islam says. What we're trying to do is to go back to the original sources, to the verses of the Holy Quran, to the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt word by word, and to acquaint ourselves with the details of those sayings. So that those sayings themselves, the ahadith themselves, the ruwayat, become second nature for us. We hear them so much, we start to see how do Ahl al-Bayt talk? How do they present the information? How do they teach? Right? This is not something that you can do very quickly overnight in one or two or three lectures. This takes time. And I think, and inshallah, as we go through these lectures, we're starting to appreciate how when Ahl al-Bayt talk, how they present the information. You get more and more familiar with the way that Ahl al-Bayt present the information. This is very different than me telling you, by the way, Islam says this. That's my version of presenting the information to you. I don't need to tell you this is what, what Islam says now. I can go back and tell you this is what Imam Ali said. This is what Imam Sadiq said. And we're trying to put these, this is the raw material of our religion, put it in your hands. And from there you're going to be able to derive the general principles by looking at the same topic through 
a number of imams, in a number of contexts, the stories that we tell from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, his companions, and how they present the information to them, we start to see that this is a very alive reality. The worldview of Islam is something alive that is reacting to the daily lives of people. It's not something you learn in theory. There's a uh, a living experience, a lived experience that goes with all of this. And this is what we're trying to get out of the ahadith as well. That's the second point. The third point, and inshallah, for those who are following from the beginning and more regularly, inshallah, this point is, is clear that even though the heading may be called something, we have called this heading reason or intellect or knowledge in Islam. But the topics that we address, the subjects that we talk about every lecture, go way beyond this heading. And so there are a lot of these that inshallah we're going to go into a lot more depth later when we talk about a second theme and a third theme. We have a whole theme inshallah dedicated to understanding the human being and self-building. Inshallah we will talk about that. Fitrah and then all of the faculties of the soul, the self. What makes us a good person? What makes us an evil person? The human tendencies to go towards certain behaviors, human tendency to go towards others. And what do you do? What's the spiritual discipline, the akhlaqi discipline to build around that? Inshallah, that will be a whole theme that we address. And there, we're going to go in detail about what it means to be a good Muslim. Put, put very bluntly. When we go back to the Holy Quran, when we go back to the Prophet, when we go back to Ahlul Bayt, what do they say? You know, the good follower of Ahlul Bayt, the good Shi'i, how do they act? How do they think? How do they eat? How do they sleep? How do they sit? Everything has been talked about. Everything has been mentioned from the very fundamental deep things in life to the small details. We're not going through that now, but we're giving glimpses as we go, for instance, through the ahadith and over the weeks. And so, yes, we might be spending a little bit more time, but inshallah, we're getting a lot more than just the topic that we're addressing. Or we could go a little bit faster. It'll be less detailed and less um, branched out, let's say, that we stick really closely to the ahadith. But as you will see, and this is part of becoming more acquainted with the ahadith, you will rarely see a hadith only have one dimension or only talk about one topic or one theme. The hadith themselves, and this is what Ahlul Bayt say about their own speech. They say that our speech is like the Holy Quran. The Holy Quran has multiple layers of meaning and our speech has multiple layers of meaning. The Holy Quran has muhkam and mutashabih, that there is speech in the Qur'an, there are verses in the Qur'an, there are parts of the Qur'an that have one very clear explicit meaning and others that have ambiguous meaning. And to understand them, you have to go to other verses of the Qur'an or to Ahl al-Bayt to really understand what is going on here so that the verses don't contradict each other. Ahl al-Bayt say our speech also has muhkam and mutashabah. Okay, so if you understand this, then we can't say we're going to take one hadith in isolation Look at it and therefore understand what Islam says about a topic. We need to spend a bit more time looking at other ahadith to see what else have Ahl al-Bayt said about this. Is there a contradiction here? Or do these ahadith just complement each other and give us different scenarios? In some cases, this thing that is supposed to be really good, the exact way that we're supposed to behave, suddenly here Ahl al-Bayt have, we have a hadith that say, don't do this. Now we know there might be cases where you're not supposed to do this. Perhaps I need to analyze this a little bit more and see in which cases shouldn't I do this even though this in general is supposed to be something good that I should always be doing. Oh, but there are conditions or there are exceptions. Okay, inshallah, this is a, a quick remark that I just wanted to make given you know a bit of feedback I received and we continue. So the next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam Again, this is about the moral traits of the scholar, of the teacher. And two brackets very quickly as a reminder, we are not talking about this so that we try to apply it to others. Yes, the scholar, yes, the teacher of religion is supposed to be the person who demonstrates these traits more. We're talking about these because we're supposed to start demonstrating all of this as well. We talked about this, right? Every week we've reminded ourselves that this is not just about do I find these traits in the other person. 
It's to what extent do I find these traits in myself? To what extent am I applying this? Right? Every trait that we talked about. So that this next one you'll see in this hadith, it mentions three traits that we've already talked about in isolation. They're combined here. Knowledge, wisdom, and silence. And we're not going to expand too much on silence anymore. We spent two lectures on it. So Imam al-Sadiq says, قال كان أمير المؤمنين عليه السلام يقول So Imam al-Sadiq is reporting a hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. And we've talked about this point too. You will find, especially in the time of Imam al-Sadiq, he will often, unfortunately, and this is part of the injustice against Imam al-Sadiq, everything we have is from Imam al-Sadiq. And yet, Imam al-Sadiq often has to say, my father said, Imam Ali alayhi salam said. Of course they said, it goes without saying, they all say the same thing. But he often says this because of how much in his time people would say, how can a person of this age, how can they have this much knowledge and have these many ahadith that they have learned? And so the imam would say, don't say Ja'far ibn Muhammad has said. Say Muhammad ibn Ali, Imam al-Baqir alayhi salam has said. Say Imam Ali alayhi salam has said. Don't refer it to me. Don't say I am the one who's saying this. So that people don't have an excuse, a pretext not to learn or not to be guided because of the rumors that they are making up against me. That this is someone who humanly is impossible for a human being to know this much, to share this much, to report this much from the Holy Prophet In any case, so Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he said, كَانَ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ يَقُولُ يَا طَالِبَ الْعِلْمِ إِنَّ لِلْعَالِمِ ثَلَاثَ عَلَامَاتٍ الْعِلْمِ والحلم والصمت. Let's do this part and then we'll do the, the second part of the hadith. So Imam Sadiq says, Imam Ali السلام, used to say, O seeker of knowledge. So this is inshallah directly related to us. Right? He is talking to us, addressing us directly. O seeker of knowledge. The scholar, in other words, the true scholar, the scholar carries three characteristics. Knowledge, they have a lot of knowledge. So you can say, this is someone who is knowledgeable. They carry knowledge. They have what we refer to as compassionate wisdom. Hilm. This combination of wisdom and mercy. Wisdom and compassion. In Arabic, it's hilm. So the person who has true knowledge has knowledge, has compassionate wisdom, and they have silence. Samt. It's not someone who speaks too much. It's someone whose tongue, whose speech is always under control. And we talked about this at length. So Imam Ali gave us the three characteristics of the true scholar, the one who has knowledge, compassionate wisdom, and silence. And the fraudster, the one who is the fake scholar, the untrue scholar, the false scholar, Imam Ali السلام, says, he also has three characteristics. He disputes with the one who is above him by sinning. So the superficial or the first meaning to this is, so he's always in a fight with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You carry the knowledge, this person carries the knowledge, and yet they disobey. They sin against the one above them, against the one who is above Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he commits injustice towards those who are below him with dominance. Now that you're in a position of authority, and we said knowledge can get you that. If you have the right knowledge, you can have authority over people. And so here the imam says, they dominate excessively or through transgression. They give themselves an authority unjustly over people because I have knowledge. Therefore, I will use you. I will abuse of you. And they become a support. They become someone who help the oppressors. And this is normal. The oppressors, as we said, is the person who wants to have the social, political rule. And one of the best ways to do this is to do it through knowledge. 
So the more knowledge you have, the more valuable you become. The person who has knowledge is not necessarily the one who wants to dominate over others this way. The oppressor wants to, but they need the tools. And so the best tool is the person with the knowledge. And so this is why this is a recurrent theme that always comes back. In fact, all three traits that Imam Ali salam mentions here, it's a recurrent theme. You go back to the ruwayat, uh, to the ahadith, you see that there's a constant mention of these three. That these are the characteristics that will tell you right away that this person is not a true scholar. They're not afraid to be in a fight with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're not afraid to commit a sin. One. And two, they are unjust. There is an arrogance over other people. So knowledge is becoming a tool to dominate over others. And you're going to see the opposite, how much insistence there is on the opposite. And we've already seen, we've already talked about arrogance and humility around knowledge. And then thirdly, that this person is going to become someone who is used by the authority, by those who want to oppress. There's more comments we can add here, but let's keep moving. So, again, the next hadith, reminder that we're going beyond the very fundamental traits, beyond the spiritual traits, beyond the the belief of the system, beyond the spirituality of the system. Once you carry knowledge, there are certain expectations of how you're going to behave in life. In every aspect of life, every dimension, not just how you pray and how you fast. In every aspect of your life, this knowledge has to show. You are now someone who is acting in a different way. And this is the key that we talked about for a whole part of the series, where we said that knowledge is transformational. It transforms you from within. And you see that in the manner in which people conduct themselves. They behave in life. So the Holy Prophet ﷺ, here he says, يَنْبَغِي لِلْعَالِمِ أن يكون and here are the traits ينبغي للعالم أن يكون قليل الضحك كثير البكاء لا يمازح ولا يصاخب ولا يماري إن تكلم تكلم بحق وإن صمت صمت عن الباطل وإن دخل دخل برفق وإن خرج خرج بحلم so here you're going to see this description and we're going to we have a, cu- a couple of comments to make here. The Holy Prophet is giving us a a bit of a list of traits around the true scholar. And you're going to see he's not talking about the things that are necessarily what we talked about earlier, the beliefs of this scholar, the spirituality of this scholar. There are hints to it, but there's a lot more. This is the full package. That knowledge is supposed to affect every aspect of who you are and how you carry yourself in life in general. So the Holy Prophet says, a scholar ought to be, a scholar should be someone who has little laughter. And we're going to come back to laughter. It's not, the Holy Prophet is not saying you can't laugh, you can't smile, you can't joke, you can't have humor. In fact, that's the opposite of what we find in, in our characteristics of the good believer. That's not the issue. It's what kind of person are you in life? And this is telling us this is someone who is serious. In general, you are someone who is serious. You have an aim in life. You have an objective. You know why you exist. You know where your life is going, what you're trying to do. Life is not only joking and being a clown and randomness and aimlessness. And that part is fine. You can appreciate humor. That's not the issue. In general, in life, is your life only built around humor and chilling and randomness and wasting time because it's entertainment and it's funny and so on and so forth? Or is there a presence, an existence of that dimension in your life, which is normal, but you are in general someone who has a lot more awareness, a lot more understanding of why do you exist? And we've talked about this a lot. There's an insistence in our religion on the afterlife. We said if you go back to the Holy Qur'an, if you remember we said there's perhaps a third of the verses of the Holy Qur'an, if not more, more than a third of the verses of the Qur'an talk about the afterlife. And it makes sense. We said even mathematically, 
If you knew that we're going to spend, I don't know, three minutes somewhere on a trip, you're going to stop for three minutes somewhere, and then you're going to spend a week at a camp afterwards. There's one pit stop on the way where you stop for three minutes. And then once you reach your destination, you're going to spend one week at a camp, and then you're going to come back. How much energy would you put in that three minutes? This is where this awareness of the afterlife versus this life kicks in. How long are we staying in this world compared to what's waiting for us in the afterlife? And this is, even this is a very reductionist, as they say, analogy. Because once you say the afterlife is infinite, it has no end. What you're doing here is supposed to prepare you for there. You're definitely going to live your life in a very different way. This is the seriousness we talk about. And so when you see that the traits, the Holy Prophet says this is someone, the true scholar, the true scholar is therefore the person who has this in mind. They understand what they're doing in this world. He's not saying you're not allowed to laugh or someone who has knowledge will never laugh. Absolutely not. The Holy Prophet is saying you are someone who understands how you fit in into this world. And so when you think about what you have done what you have prepared for the afterlife and how much energy you have put in for the afterlife as opposed to this one, that's when the Holy Prophet says, this is someone with little laughter and a lot of weeping. And the Holy Quran refers to this too, talks about this. Because this is someone who's serious. You understand how you fit in, what you are doing, where are the shortcomings, and you're working towards something. Okay, and so the Holy Prophet continues, and so here, this is not someone who weeps. Again, I want to emphasize this, because now culturally there is a tendency to talk about these things. This is not someone who's weeping out of weakness. Someone who is psychologically broken, and so everything makes them weep. This is because this person understands how this world fits into the next they understand the, the, the seriousness of the situation, the gravity of the situation, the shortcomings of your life as a human being versus what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects from you as your creator, as your Lord. Yeah, now, now it's worth crying. I'm not crying because I'm beaten up by life, that I'm just broken. I feel weak. It's okay to feel that. From time to time, that's okay to feel that. That's not the issue. But the Holy Prophet, when he says, this is someone who has a lot of weeping, this is the point I want to emphasize. Imam Ali salam was bakka. This is a, the construction of this word in Arabic. This is, this is not to say, this is someone who would cry. This is to say someone who would cry a lot. This is an emphasis. The Holy Prophet was someone who cried. Well known. You go back to the traits of the Holy Prophet. He cries very quickly. Imam Ali salam was a bakka. All of our imams, read the ruwayat, see what makes them cry. They cry very quickly. Why? Because they have a spiritual sensitivity. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always present. Death is always present. The afterlife is always present. Yeah, this will make you weep. And this is something worth weeping over. This is not because I'm psychologically weak that I weep. We're not just encouraging weeping and crying to weep and cry. Our religion says be strong, be resilient, be perseverant, deal with the struggles of life. This life is a world of struggles, of tests, of challenges. This is not what's supposed to make you weak and make you cry and make you weep. The things that make you weep is when you realize your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the shortcomings, forgetting the duties Forgetting that there is death. It's inevitable. Death is coming. Whether it's tomorrow or in a hundred years, it's coming. Am I ready? That I have an infinite afterlife awaiting for me after. Am I ready? What am I doing? This is worth weeping over. And that's fine. So the Holy Prophet continues and he says, Nor is he a jokester. So this is someone who you know spends their time tricks and jokes and, and sometimes this gets very elaborate to the point where you even become known as this is the jokester, this is the clown of the group. Don't become that. This is not Islamic. Be the serious person in the group. 
The Holy Prophet says, nor is he someone who is rowdy, loud, wild, crazy. This is not Islamic behavior. Be the one who is in control. Don't be reactive. Don't be impulsive. Don't be loud. Nor a show-off. And this is part of modesty. This is part of humility. And these, as you can see, these are actually the traits of the good Muslim. So, of course, if I talk about a scholar, if I talk about a teacher of Islam, then I could expect this to be performed at a much higher level than your commoner, than just a good Muslim. These are the traits that we would find in a good Muslim. Okay, and then the Holy Prophet ﷺ continues, and he says, when he speaks, when the, tr- when the scholar, the true scholar, the teacher of Islam, when he speaks, he speaks truth. When he remains silent, he holds back falsehood. Whatever he enters, and so this is, this is where we find the general characteristic or the general principle. Whatever he enters, he enters gently. Or in another way, he enters with wisdom. Whatever he does, whatever he says, whatever projects he undertakes, whatever action he's about to do, whatever he enters, he enters gently. So it's all deliberate, calculated, well thought out, studied. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is this the right thing to do for me? Whatever he exits, he exits with wisdom. So there's no reactionary or impulsive behavior. There's good judgment, everything is thought out, things are not random, they're not reactive, it's not a super, superficial understanding of life. Maybe the last comment, the rest I think I explained it throughout, is that when the Holy Prophet talks about these, the Holy Prophet here listed a number of traits, of course, in general, from the tone of the hadith, we have to be able to conclude that the Holy Prophet is not saying these are the only characteristics, the only traits. The Holy Prophet is giving us general principles. So there are, of course, many others that we can deduce from these. Okay, so inshallah that part is clear. Next hadith is from Imam Ali alayhi salam. So Imam Ali here, again, he's going to list a number of these moral or personality traits, but then he's also going to do something the Holy Prophet didn't do in this specific hadith, which is that he's going to give us a little bit of a rationale. Why are some of these traits? In the previous hadith you saw, the Holy Prophet, when he said this, he's not a jokester, he's not rowdy, he cries a lot, he doesn't laugh a lot. When the Holy Prophet says that, he didn't explain why. We had to explain it, so I added some explanation. Imam Ali السلام, here, he's going to give us himself a little bit of an explanation of why he's mentioning these points. So Imam Ali السلام, he says, يَنْبَغِي لِلْعَالِمْ أَنْ يَكُونَ صَدُوقًا لِيُؤْمَنَ عَلَى مَا قَالْ وَأَنْ يَكُونَ مَشْكُورًا لِيَسْتَوْجِبَ الْمَزِيدِ وَأَنْ يَكُونَ حَمُولًا لِيَسْتَحَقَّ سِيَادَهِ وَأَنْ يَعْمَلَ بِعِلْمِهِ I'm going to say it in English. This hadith we could spend numerous lectures on. There's a lot in this hadith. It's a very condensed hadith. So Imam Ali says, So I say this before so that you catch a lot of the things and you think about them as I say them. So Imam Ali says, A scholar ought to be someone who is most truthful He could have stopped there, but he explained. He said, so as to be trusted with what he says. It can be someone that from time to time you make, whether it's intentional or not, you don't say the truth. People do not interpret you as being someone who generally, when they talk, they say the truth. Whether it's intentional or not. Sometimes you're just not well prepared and you talk about something and you're not 100% sure. But you're not just a random person. You're a teacher. You're a scholar. So people expect you to say things that match reality. That's why they're coming to you. It's not just your personal guess. Everybody has a personal guess. So be sure of what you say or don't say it. So here the Imam says, who is most truthful, 
This is someone who is known to be truthful, so ask to be trusted with what he says. Otherwise, people will lose their trust in what you have to say, and that's it, you're done. And to be thanked, so as to give more. You see, the imam here completely changed the tone. The scholar ought to be someone who is thanked, so as to give more. The imam switched from the duty, the characteristic of the scholar, to now a right of the scholar. Okay? And then he continues. He goes back to the duties. And the scholar ought to be someone who is capable of carrying heavy loads, the imam says. Carrying heavy burdens. Why? So here we could say very simply, the first meaning is that this is, if it's a true scholar, we expect the scholar to be able to carry vast amounts of knowledge. Otherwise, they are not a scholar. You and I have a little bit of knowledge. I don't consider myself a scholar. What makes someone a scholar? I want to feel that this person carries a heavy burden or a heavy load of knowledge. That's the first meaning. But the rationale that the imam is going to give us, we're going to see that it goes way beyond just the knowledge. The imam is talking about true knowledge. True knowledge, as we said, is not about the information, the amount of data that you carry. So the imam says, and to be capable or able to carry heavy loads or heavy burdens in order to be worthy of leadership. So this is a very important principle. We're going to come back to it. And then, and to be one who acts based on his knowledge. You want to say that this is someone whose actions match their knowledge. They know a lot and their actions match their knowledge. Otherwise, the Imam says again, so that people follow his example. So for each one of the traits, the Imam gave us at least one main reason. So the first is truthful, so that people trust what he says. Someone who is thanked so as to give more. Someone who is capable of carrying a heavy burden so that they are worthy of leadership or even rule. And finally, someone who acts based on their knowledge. Their actions do not contradict their knowledge so that people accept them as an example and follow in their footsteps. They follow them. So very quickly, as I said, a lot of things that we can add and derive and make full lectures around each one of these. Okay, but very quickly. On one side, we saw that this hadith talks about the duties. Three of these statements are definitely duties of the scholar, responsibilities of the scholar. But there's two quick things that the imam mentions here that can be understood as being the right of the scholar. The first one is that, and it was very direct, that the scholar should be thanked. There has to be some sort of gratitude gratefulness towards this person who is a scholar. That wasn't as clear. The other one was indirect. But you guys probably caught it. The imam says that the true scholar, the one who has real knowledge, is the one who is worthy of leadership. This is the person who is given the leadership. Your leadership comes from your knowledge. And this is going to be opening a whole discussion in Islam. Where does authority stem from? What gives you authority over others? What gives you authority in a field about a topic, decision, policy, law, whatever it is? Where does it come from? So here, the Imam is giving us a, a general principle. Apart from things, of course, we're Muslims. We believe that there are things that are coming directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no other authority when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken about something. Right? The Holy Quran says, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger have decre decreed something, it is not, no longer up to the believers to go and decide something. That's it. If you're a believer, then you believe what God said or what the Messenger said. End of story. So we're not talking about those. Our religion has left a whole... The majority of our lives are not dictated by religion. 
So in those cases, where do I turn? What's going to run my life? In my life personally, just my life in isolation, or in social life, if I want to turn to someone else, where do I turn? Imam Ali alayhi salam here established a principle. You turn towards knowledge. The source of knowledge becomes the source of authority. And this is opening the door to a bigger discussion in Islam. Authority in Islam does not come out of who you know, which family you belong to, if you are a companion of something or not, someone or not. That's not enough. It comes from knowledge. It is earned. And not only is it earned, it's demonstrated. It's not in theory. It's in practice, in experience. This is someone, Imam Ali says, and he should be someone who can carry heavy loads. This is someone with a demonstrated capacity to carry a burden, a lot of responsibility. Now this person is worthy of leadership. I can give them leadership. They've demonstrated the capacity and the knowledge. Even the knowledge itself was not enough. Someone may know a lot. They're still not suitable for leadership. And so here we open a whole other discussion about leadership in Islam. So one ingredient that the Imam is talking about for true positions of leadership in Islam, leadership comes from knowledge. That's one thing I need from my leader. Someone who knows what they're doing. They have a certain level of expertise in some key areas that allows them, that entitles them to be a leader in that role. So knowledge is important. Two, the ability to carry that responsibility. A demonstrated ability. That's the burden. That's the load. وَأَيَّكُونَ حَمُولًا Hamul is like the word that you would use for a camel that is capable of carrying a lot. An animal that you, they used to use like a vehicle at that time. You want to be able to put a lot on them. This is someone who can carry a very heavy burden, a very heavy responsibility. There's a lot of things in life that seem to be very easy when there's no pressure, when there's no burden, when there's no microphone. A lot of things might seem very easy, very simple. It's under pressure, under the burden, under the load. Can you still perform? Maybe for positions of authority and leadership, it's not the time to go try it out for the first time under the pressure and under the burden. The people that we choose as a community, as a society, should perhaps be the ones who, as Imam Ali salam says, a demonstrated ability to carry the load, to carry the burden. Now the same thing. And then the third point is that at the end, the Imam says, This is someone who acts based on their knowledge so that people can follow in their footsteps. Accept them as an example. Accept this scholar, this teacher as an example. So on one side, from the way the Imam says this, the Imam is telling us, naturally, the people want to follow the scholar. And so this is the danger. Because if you don't pay close attention, your tendency is to follow this person because they have the knowledge. In your mind, this is someone who has the knowledge. And so this is why the Imam says, here's the, the two sides of the danger. Is that generally speaking, you have a tendency to follow this person. So you're going to follow them, perhaps even blindly, even though they're unworthy of being followed because they don't act based on their knowledge. That's one side of the danger. And the other side of the danger is that people see that you act in a way that is contradictory to your knowledge and they still associate you with knowledge. Then you turn people away, you turn people off from religion because you've, you're associated with religion. And people no longer want to follow in your footsteps. So if your footsteps were, I'm going towards religion, to learn religion, to teach religion, but your actions don't match, this might in itself become a reason for people to leave religion. You act in a way that is not religious. So you're giving them a pretext not to be religious. 
Next hadith. As I said, there's a lot more we can say here, but I think that's enough for these quick statements. Next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. العلماء أطهر الناس أخلاقا وأقلهم في المطامع أعراقا He says the scholars are the ones with the purest manners among the people and those whose makeup, whose constitution is the less or the least desirous the least covetous least greedy among the people so on the one side, the manner in which they behave is very elevated. They have superior manners, superior etiquette. Their conduct, their behavior is excellent. When people see them, they say, this is the purest form of the manners. And the manner in which they approach life, they don't seem to be covetous. They're not after worldly things. Deep down in their makeup, in their constitution, the Imam says, وَأَقَلُّهُمْ Araqa is, you know, let's, today we would say, you know, at the genetic level. How deep does it go? How far does it go? Deep in your constitution, the Imam says, they are the least covetous, the least desirous, desiring of the world, of things. And this is what makes them elevated. This is nobility, right? You feel that this is not someone that you can buy cheaply. They're above all of this. They're too noble, too excellent, too sublime to be bought by things that are cheap. So they're not covetous. There's nothing they desire. So both sides, the manner in which they carry themselves and how they are attracted to the things of this world, you see that they are at the highest level. Again, this hadith in general should not be as a surprise, should not come as a surprise to us. Why? Because once again, and this is why we're saying the series is not just about the scholar and the teacher. These are the characteristics of the good Muslim. These are the characteristics of the good follower of Ahlul Bayt But when we're talking about the teacher, when we're talking about the scholar, we want to find the most excellent, the most pure form of this. Just like when we said, for instance, when it came to sinning, we said the hadith say what? The hadith said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive 70 sins to the person who is unknowledgeable, ignorant, without knowledge, before he forgives one sin to the knowledgeable person. Same thing here. And in Arabic, the use of the term 70 7 or 70 or 700 the 7 in Arabic is used to exaggerate to talk about multiplicity it's not about the 7 it's about many 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 folds that's what the hadith really says it's not arithmetically 70 sins the imams are saying many many sins will be forgiven to the person who is ignorant who doesn't know better before a single sin is forgiven to the person who knows so, when we come to manners, when we come to the manner in which you conduct yourself, generally speaking, the good Muslim is supposed to carry themselves in a certain way. So the person who knows, I expect them to, based on the same pattern, the same principle, I would expect them to carry themselves 70 times better in this world and to desire things 70 times less. Right? That's if you want to follow the same pattern. That's one. That's the first point related to this hadith. The second point related to this hadith is that the hadith seems to be talking about something very, very deep. Just this word in Arabic, this a'raq. When the Imam says, وَأَقَلُّهُمْ فِي الْمَطَامِعِ أَعْرَاقًا Al-irq is what? It's the nerve, right? It's your makeup. It's something that goes deep all the way to your nerves, your nervous system. It's your basic makeup, your constitution. The Imam is talking here about those people, the true scholars, as being those who, at their deepest level, they are the ones who desire things the least. 
So one way that we may understand this, and I think that might be the first way most of us might understand this hadith, is to say that the imam is talking about a very select, very special breed of people who can become the true scholars. Deep down, these people are very noble. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has just created them this way. Genetically, to use more modern, more contemporary language, genetically these people are predisposed to act in this way. Genetically, they are less disposed to lean towards the things of this world. Maybe the imam is saying it that way. Perhaps. But that would be a very weak, I would argue, interpretation. The clearer interpretation is to say, no, it's knowledge that is making them this way. They were not this way before knowledge. We're not saying, we're not denying entirely that your genetic makeup and constitution doesn't play a role. Of course it does. We're human beings, we have a dimension that is corporeal, that is flesh and blood, and genes and nerves. And these are the tools we use to go through this world. They're instruments. But this is not everything we are. You can change that. You can transform it. This is you. Knowledge is you. You decide. The more knowledge, the more true knowledge you have, the more it transforms you from within. This is why we called it transformational knowledge for 15 lectures or more. We talked about transformational knowledge. It changes you from within. You see the world differently once you start carrying knowledge. You see yourself, your place in the world, your relationship with people, with things, with the world, with God, with the afterlife. Everything changes. Now you know. Before you didn't. That knowledge changes you. That knowledge makes you become someone who is least covetous. Not so desiring of the things of this world. And to act in a way that the imam describes as of having the purest manners, the purest into, uh, etiquette, behavior, conduct. The last point related to this hadith, just to bring you back to a point we talked about. I come back to it whenever we see a hadith. That's why we say there are so many layers when we present a topic. It's difficult to address it fully unless we want to do a barrage of you know a thousand hadith on it. This hadith seems to be talking about something very different. When we started the discussion around scholars and teachers, we said as an introduction before we look at any ahadith, in truth and based on reason, and also based on ahadith and the Holy Quran, in truth, the only true scholar and the only true teacher is the infallible. You go back to a hadith like this and you see it very clearly. There is no way to compare between an infallible and a normal person when you read a hadith like this. When the imam says the true scholar is the one who, ha who has the most sublime, the most pure manners. And the person who is least covetous and least desiring of this world. Who does this apply to perfectly? If it's normal people, you and I, there will always be shortcomings. As they say, there will always be a crack in the shield. Not when you come to the infallible. This applies perfectly to the infallible. This is the person who is not covetous of this world. Fully and entirely. With a seal of guarantee from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the person who has the most sublime conduct and etiquette and manners. In all situations. As the Holy Quran says about the Holy Prophet. Maybe five more minutes, so I'll cover the next hadith. I had two hadith here that I thought would help us bring this whole topic together related to these moral traits. And I didn't want to comment on them because otherwise it'll take long. And these are longer hadith. I just thought that I would read them quickly. And I think it brings a lot of what we said together. Okay, so it brings together, for instance, the benefits of knowledge. It brings together the duties and the characteristics of the scholar and the teacher and the good Muslim in general too, since we talked about that now. So Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, Ya talib al-ilm, 
So, O seeker of knowledge, know that knowledge grants many merits. And now he's about to start talking about these merits that you gain from gaining knowledge, from acquiring knowledge. The Imam is going to present all of it through a metaphor. This is called an extended metaphor for those who study literature. An extended metaphor is that you take a metaphor and you keep playing on the same metaphor again and again and again. So you don't change to another type of metaphor to present another image. You take the same image and you keep working it. The Imam is using that type in rhetoric, that type of metaphor. What's the metaphor here? He's going to liken, he's going to give us an analogy that knowledge is like a man. Imagine a man standing in front of you, a human being standing in front of you. So he's going to use the body parts and the faculties of a man referring to knowledge, as though they are knowledge. If knowledge were a man. So he says, know that knowledge grants many merits. And here each one of these, again, we could spend a lecture on what it means. What does the Imam really mean when he say this? We're not going to do that. I'm just going to say it quickly so that we keep moving. فَرَأْسُهُ التَّوَاضُعُ The head of this man who is knowledge. So the head of knowledge is humility. وَعَيْنُهُ الْبَرَاءَةُ مِنَ الْحَسَدِ And the eyes of knowledge. So what do you do with your eyes? What does it allow you to do in the world? And its eyes, the eyes of knowledge, are being devoid of jealousy, being pure from jealousy, no jealousy. So for the first one, humility would be humility before God and humility with people. Jealousy, as we talked very quickly last time, we talked a little bit about jealousy. In other words, the imam is saying, I promised you I wouldn't comment. The imam is saying it's blindness. Someone who has eyes, but they can't use them, they're blind. The Imam is saying that someone who has knowledge, but they have jealousy, the eyes of knowledge, he says, is being devoid of jealousy. You have jealousy because of that knowledge, you're jealous of other people's knowledge, then this is going to lead to a blindness. This is a blind knowledge. And the ear is understanding, or wanting to understand, or deep understanding. Otherwise, you're deaf. You can have knowledge, you can learn and memorize, but you're not really hearing. You don't really understand what it says. This is deaf. It's not going beyond just learning and memorizing. There's no comprehension, right? Okay, I'll stop here. وَلِسَانُهُ الصِّدْقِ وَحِفْظُهُ الْفَحْصِ وَقَلْبُهُ حُسْنُ النِّيَّةِ وَعَقْلُهُ مَعْرِفَةُ الْأَسْبَابِ وَالْأُمُورِ وَيَدُهُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَرِجْلُهُ زِيَارَةُ الْعُلَمَاءِ The tongue of knowledge or this man, its tongue is truthfulness. Its learning or its memory is analysis or investigation. So this is someone who goes deeper. We talked about this. Its heart is good intent. This is ikhlas. Its mind is knowledge of the causes. So you don't accept things as at a superficial level. You want to go to the root and identify the real causes of things. Its hand or its power, its hand is mercy. Counterintuitive. Its foot of knowledge or of this man, its foot is visiting of scholars. وَهِمَّتُهُ salama. So the ambition of knowledge or the ambition of this man is safety or certainty. The wisdom of this man, the faculty of wisdom, is God-fearing. This is how you know that this knowledge is a wise knowledge. This is, as you remember, without taqwa, the hadith were saying, without taqwa, there is no knowledge. It's not knowledge. Mustaqar is the final resting place. Mustaqarruhun najah, it's rescue. You've reached the safe abode, the safe, you've reached safety in, in your final destination. So afia here is you know being without defect. I could say perfection, but 
to be without any defects. So this is what gives direction to it. The vehicle that it uses is loyalty. The weapon of knowledge, the weapon of this man who is knowledge, is the soft word. The sword of knowledge, again, it might be counterintuitive. The sword is to be content, to be satisfied, to have rida. The bow, the other weapon it carries, it's like an archer. The bow that it carries is what? Is to be or to have good nature. To treat people well. This is mudarat. There are a lot of hadith from Ahlul Bayt about the importance of mudarat. To, to treat people well. To be good-natured with people. Wajayshuhu, the army of this man, or the army of knowledge. Wajayshuhu, muhawaratul ulama. To have discussions, to engage in discussions with scholars. With people who carry knowledge. As I said, I'm not commenting. I'm leaving these with you guys. وَمَآلُهُ adab. So, وَمَآلُهُ Sorry, not وَمَآلُهُ وَمَآلُهُ adab. The wealth of knowledge, the wealth of this man is good manners. ذَخِيرَتُهُ اِجْتِنَابُ الذُّنُوبِ The ذَخِيرَة is either the ammunition or what you store for an hour of need, for instance. Okay, or your ammo, your ammunitions. Okay, your ammunition or your, your supplies is ijtinabu dhunub to avoid sins. Its garment is doing good or enjoining good. It's doing good. Its destination is muwada'ah. It's it's making peace, peace treaties. To be in a situation where everything is peaceful. Its guide is guidance. And its companion is the love of the righteous. Those who are righteous. This is the friend of knowledge. The companion of this man. Okay, I will stop here. Hatta inshallah we don't exceed our time. Inshallah there's another hadith I wanted to cover. We'll leave it till next time. Maybe from this hadith you can see we've been talking for many, many lectures on the importance of knowledge, the importance of becoming a learner, the importance of having certain characteristics and traits. And then those become your duties, become your responsibilities as you gain more and more knowledge. These are the traits, the characteristics that you're aiming for. This hadith, the Imam presented everything in one metaphor perhaps much easier to learn, much easier to then go and think about as an image, as opposed to the imam having to explain all of this in detail. He leaves you and your knowledge and your ability to understand from the metaphor that he gave us. There is a similar one given by by Imam Ali alayhi salam. Inshallah, we'll cover it next time and then we'll, talk, we'll start talking about a few specific duties that we haven't really spent too much time on regarding the scholar and inshallah afterwards we're moving from the duties to the merits of the scholar and then we'll talk very quickly about the community as we said we're looking at this whole topic of knowledge now at the practical level we're looking at it from three angles the angle of the learner the teacher and then the community and we said the aim is that we become part of And we form, we develop ourselves, we establish ourselves, communities of knowledge. Communities where the foundation, the thing that links people together is through knowledge. Knowledge is the foundation. And we said if you go back to Islam and its history and the verses and how they were revealed and what they were talking about, you see that this was the intent. Our religion should be a community of knowledge. A community where there's a revolution of knowledge taking place constantly. Insha'Allah we'll continue next time. Wasallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.
If there are any questions, concerns, comments, we have a little bit of time. Yeah, it could be dignity, yeah. So I feel like as a scholar you have a, a certain status in public, right, or people's eyes. So I feel like too much extend, you know, too much laughing can take that away from you. It's, it's an excellent remark. And in fact, even beyond that, as a scholar, yes, as a mu'min in general, you're not supposed to be someone who's degraded, who's humiliated, or people are condescending to you with the pretext that this is a joke, where it's for humor, even that is not supposed to be acceptable. If you're a believer, this should not be happening. So in a lot of cases, don't open the door to that. Don't be the clown and the jokester in the first place to open the door for this type of reaction from others. It's an excellent remark. So this is a, a, maybe perhaps a, a bit more rationale or explanation from Khutbat al-Wasila from Imam Ali salam about some of the reasons why. Um, Joking too much and laughing too much perhaps can lead to being degraded and losing your, your social status. Ahsantum. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.